Good morning. How are we all doing? Is this awesome or what? This is my first time here at Center Church in the new space, and man, I'm, I gotta admit, I walked in, it was like I drank five five-hour energies. I was like, holy smokes, this place is awesome, it's fantastic, it's unbelievable. I'm walking around, I'm trying stuff. I'm just trying, nobody knows this, I haven't told anybody yet. I'm walking in every room, I'm just trying stuff I've never done before. I'm like, the coat hangers over here, those are so cool. If you haven't seen them, they're unbelievable. I'm noticing the lights. I'm like, I wish we had, I want those in my room. Those are awesome. I was in, in the bathroom. I'll say no, I, the slow-closed toilet seat. That was so cool. I've never experienced that out in public before. I mean, it was just everything I'm doing right now it, here at Center Church. It's new. It's different. It's fun. It's exciting. Uh, kind of just my personality. I love change. Uh, I love new. I love different. Uh, it just, it, it, it excites me. It's like, this is, this is something I haven't experienced before. Uh, I want to learn something. I want to try something. I want to do something. I, I want to I grow my horizons. I want to expand my perspective and experience something that's totally different. And so the, the main thing that I wanted to come and talk to you about today, uh, we're in like, I think it's week five or week six, something like that, uh, of this series that we're in called Four People. And we've had three different sections uh, of different people that God has called us to love and to pursue as followers of him. And so the first couple weeks were about lost people. God is for people and he's for lost people. The second week was God is for young people. So the, the second section or the, the two weeks there was young people. And then today we're starting off, this is the first of a two-part um, over like this week and the next week. And it's all about different people. And so I want to ask you just this question, and maybe you've never thought about it before. Um, I'm going to give you a lot of time today. Uh, actually, I'm not going to give you a lot of time today to think. I'm going to give you a lot of time to listen today because I'm excited about the text that we're in. But I want to ask you this question, and the question goes like this. How do you see the world? How do you see the world? Uh, let's substitute the world. How do you see people? How do you see people? Maybe you haven't given that much thought before. Do you, how do you see different people? How do you see people that aren't like you, that don't look like you, that don't think like you, that don't vote like you? How do you see the world? How do you see people? This last year has been really interesting because it's really kind of forced us to reckon with how do we see people that are different than we are, right? I gave, let's go, a couple, couple different things here. Uh, what about politics? How do you see people that vote different than you? Uh-oh. He hasn't been up there three minutes and you were already talking politics? Right? This last year, it's like, well, you know, red or blue, right? Or doesn't count, right? That's what it feels like sometimes in our country. Red or blue. What about this one? Race. This last year, two big ones that have been a hot topic, focus of the news, whatever. Black or white? Uh-oh. Wow. Three and a half minutes. We're already on the race topic. Let's keep going. What about virus? Mask? No mask. You all voted right now. I can tell. What about this one? This one, this one's significant. This one's harder to see. Vaccine or no vaccine? Isn't it so funny right now? Our world often does this. We say this or that. And in reality, so many of us, if we're honest, we say this, right or wrong. And we always put ourselves in which category? Right. So often, you know, this question, how do we see the world? How do we see other people? How do we see different people? Often it's this, right, wrong. Right, wrong. And then in the church, this is where it gets really personal and, and really serious. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, you're off the hook for now. You know, you'll, you'll wrestle with it. You'll think about it. You know, maybe today, maybe you might agree or like what I say. Maybe you'll go, yep, that's why I don't want to, that's why I don't want to be a part of Christianity. The, the church has really struggled to identify and love lost people who are different than they are. And this year has been no exception. In fact, this year has went, yep, we have a problem. 
And I want to, I guess, depict it or, or show you this image. Um, this is often, I think, how many of us see. We see in two-dimensional, right? We see images or we see color. We see people. It's not maybe in the full breadth or beauty that God has intended. So often our natural inclination is to see things in like a, a monotone, right? This image that we're looking at here, if you're watching online, maybe you can see it, maybe not if you're listening. It's just black and white. It's really cool. It's kind of the swirly. It's a unique design. And so we, we might look at something like that and say, that's cool. It's artistic. I like it. But it's actually not the fullness of what it was ever intended to create. And so the thing with Jesus is this. Jesus came to win people different than him, not defeat them. This is like the one thing I'm trying to hone in on today. If you're writing anything, if you're a note taker, if you're a, a picture taker, whatever, just capture this one thing. We understand this about Jesus. Jesus came to win people who were different than him, not defeat them. And this last year as a culture, this last year as a church, this last year as a people, we often assume we are against people who are different than we are. And it's our job to defeat them, to defeat them in an argument, to defeat them financially, to defeat them theologically. To de we want to defeat. We want to one-up. We want to establish who's right and who's wrong rather than win them to a, sim a similar or common side. That Jesus won people. We can't be known as people who will defeat people. It's very, very different. So we are called to do the same. His intention for us is not that we would just see in full color, but that we would pursue the kingdom of God in full color so that we look at an image and it comes to life like this. How many of us, this is just my big question even coming in, how many of us are living life seeing things in black or white when what God has intended for us and for his kingdom and for our lives is full color? Sometimes we don't know what we're missing out on until we get a taste or experience it. So the text that we're in today, I'm... I, this is a fun text. It's also a long text, okay? So I'm going to move quick. If you have a Bible, pull out your Bible. If you have a phone and you're bored, great opportunity. Be like, I'm on the Bible app. It doesn't matter if you're not. John chapter 4 is where we're at. We're diving in. And uh, yeah, we're going to jump in. So John chapter 4, verse 1. It uh, goes like this. Let's read it together. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Time out, right? First 10 seconds of the passage. It's already funny. You see the Pharisees seeing Jesus, who is different than them. Who, what, they're playing this game. We want to defeat Jesus. And so our scorecard currently is this. How many people have you baptized? How many people have you baptized? This is fun today. If you're joining for the first time, first of all, welcome. Second of all, sorry that you have to do with me today. John is way better and way more personable than I am. Uh, I'm going to create a tornado today, and then John gets to clean it up for the couple weeks after. <laughs> But this is so funny. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. The Pharisees are playing a game that Jesus is not playing. They're playing a numbers game. They're playing a popularity game. They're playing an influence game. Jesus comes in and he goes, I'm playing a totally different, I'm playing the kingdom game. I'm playing the kingdom. I don't, I don't care who, and this is what it says. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who had baptized, but his disciples. Jesus is deliberately empowering other people to do the work of the ministry because he is so intent on this not being about him and not him defeating anybody else because he could. 
but he doesn't have to. He doesn't need to. He doesn't even try to. Let's keep reading. Although, uh, or, although in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. Now, we, we have a hard time picturing this on a map. I should have brought a map, but I didn't. Um, but it says this. He had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, Israel and Samaria, they, they hated each other. Like, it's hard to find a comparison even today that exists of like a cultural, socioeconomic. I mean, it, these two groups hate each other. They hate them. You've heard the passage maybe, or you've heard of it before, the Good Samaritan, right? We even have laws that are named after it. What's crazy about this culture is the Samaritans and the Jews hated one another. And Jews, when they would move from one place to another, they would actually take a journey three to four times longer to avoid ever going into Samaria because they hate each other. They were repulsed by each other. So when it says this, now he had to go through Samaria, it wasn't saying he had to go through because of geography. It was he had to go through because of his theology because of who he was and because who he was sent for, he was purposely putting himself in the middle of a culture and a society and, more importantly, a people that were different than him. He had to. I was reading a commentary uh, even as late as last night. I was just reading through a couple last things, and one of them said this is like one of the most important interactions that Jesus had in all of his ministry. Because he went after lost people that all of the other Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of the time, ignored. Jesus said, nope, I have to do this. So let's keep reading. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Let's keep reading. Verse 7 It says this. Uh, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. There's so many layers to the story. You need to understand how different this woman was. So first of all, right, Jew and Samaritan. That's the first barrier. Second is man-woman. May not seem like a big deal in our room or all, our culture or our context today. In this time, women and men would not speak in public ever, including if you're married. Some of you maybe like that idea. <laughs> Some of you don't. I don't know. I'm not saying anything. I love you, Sam. <laughs> so they're not supposed to talk. They don't interact. They don't relate. They, they're not supposed to do anything. And then even, like, even farther, now they're alone. Big no-no, okay? Just understand, like, this, this is not just like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. This is like, nobody does that. Like, are you, are you kidding me? Let's keep, keep reading. Um, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. She's pointing out, you're breaking the rules right now. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I just thought this was funny. I mean, this, this particular part, I mean, it's like, this is like if you're a Michigan fan going down to Ohio State in a bar and saying, you buy me a drink. Like, does that, does that work if you're in Ohio? <laughs> like, you're going to get duct taped to a stop sign. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you just don't do that. This is like going to the, whatever way you vote, I don't care. It's like Republican, Democrat, whatever. it's like going to the opposite national convention and saying, I, I have some words I'd like to say. And you, somebody can buy me lunch? You know, it's like, you don't do that. Like, nobody even hesitates. 
For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They avoid each other. They hate each other. They're repulsed by each other. They, they don't talk. They don't interact. They don't do anything with each other. And Jesus puts himself right in the middle, and the woman notices it and even says it. And then watch this, verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Basically, let's read parentheses here. You have no idea who I am. You have no idea who I am. That the layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer that you see, you see so black and white, you can't see the explosion of color of God right in front of your face. I, it's not that I can't talk to you. I created you. In fact, I, I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. I, I know the deepest, most intimate, broken areas of your life, and I love you. You have no idea who you're talking to. You are so caught up in what separates us and what makes us different, she can't actually even see Jesus for who he is. This is... Poof. Jesus invites her into this conversation. And so they start, verse 11, it goes like this. Notice the difference here as we jump back and forth between superficial and spiritual. Superficial brokenness, shallow brokenness, and then deep-rooted spiritual brokenness. It says this, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Jesus is juxtaposing two different things that, that she thinks are going on. She's talking about the physical manifestation of the water. I'm thirsty, right? My mouth is dry. It's clammy. It's hot. I'm there in the middle of the day. I, I need a drink. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Now, the fact that you're here at this time of day says there's something deep, spiritually broken in your heart right now, and that's what I want to talk about. That's what I see. That's what I notice. That's the difference here in, in, in this context isn't just the superficial race, color, gender, preference. What, it's not, that's not what separates them. What separates them is the theological, spiritual depth of pain and brokenness that separates them, and she wants to keep it up here, and Jesus wants to speak down there. He's a master at how he does this. Her response, let's talk about the physical needs. Let's talk about the physical brokenness. Let's talk about physical water. His response, let's talk about the spiritual and heart-level brokenness in your life. She sees people totally different than Jesus sees people. And the question is, do we do the same? Do we fall into the same trap as she does? I want to ask you this question. It's kind of weird, I think, but I, as I was working on it, I was like, maybe this works. Um, do you see different people as different or as people? As you think about, I, I should have maybe asked it like this. Think about, think about a different person right now. What do you think about? What characteristics come to mind? I mean, what, what makes them different? Do, do you see different people as different? As in you look for what separates you, or do you see them as people? You look for, for what connects you. If you see different people as different, if different is your emphasis, then maybe it looks like this. Uh, you see different people, there's division between you. 
There's something that, that doesn't allow you to connect, right? Like Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Maybe, maybe you see other people as weird, right? Elementary school, boys, girls, weird, gross. <laughs> Fair? You're like, we're, we're different. Ergo, you have a problem. What about, what about this one? Right, wrong. Talked about that at the beginning. If you emphasize different, you, I'm right, you're wrong, or maybe this last one, uh, invalu- like unvaluable, I don't need you. I can discard you and, and not lose anything. You're expendable. This is convicting. Because as soon as we start talking about significant areas of brokenness in our country, in our state, in our politics, in our world over the last year, all of a sudden I'm incriminated. I don't see people like Jesus sees people, if I'm being honest. But, but when we see different people as people, maybe this is more what we see or what we highlight, we see people as we're all in this together. What a different pandemic response if we had all said, this is about us, this is about people, this is about rallying together, we're in this together. It's not about who's right, who's wrong, who's this side, who's that side, who votes this way, who votes that way, our country versus their country, it's us. It's a totally different response. A couple other ones, we see others not as different, we see them as beautiful. You add color to my monotone image. You add variety. You had beauty, you had value, and in fact, without you, I lack. I need you. We need you. This is how Jesus sees people. This whole series that we're talking about right now called Four People. Jesus is for people, not for differences. Jesus is for people. So often, we make this mistake. We compare horizontally, and we look for what makes us different rather than what makes us the same vertically. We are so different than our God, who is perfect and holy and righteous and pure, and then there's us. And what's amazing about him is he doesn't see us as different. He sees us as people, people made in his image. It's such an invitation, such a beautiful invitation from him to us saying, I love you, I've created you, I care about you, and all of the differences that separate you, I think they make you beautiful. It brings the image to life. Jesus says, when you're a part of my church, that's what it means to be a part of me. So he intentionally went to Samaria. He intentionally went after a woman. And he intentionally went after someone who was far from him, who was lost, because he had deliberately engaged people who were fundamentally different than he was. He came to win people different than him, not defeat them. This is such a simple, concise summary of Jesus' ministry. But let's keep reading. John 4, verse 16 There's a longer stretch here. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. Uh Uh-oh, Jesus is talking spiritual brokenness now. Just wait for it. I just imagine myself going, dang it, tried to keep it here. Jesus went here. Now I'm busted. He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Don't you hate the word quite It's like, oh, like he doesn't even stutter. What you have said is quite true. Hmm. 
And he keeps going, or sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> I can see you know things that I don't want you to know. It's basically what that said. I can see you're a prophet. I can see God revealed these things to you about me, about my heart, about my brokenness. I'm not a fan of that. I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. So important. Here's what she does. She gets back into a debate with Jesus that pulls out of the spiritual brokenness. This is what we do as people all the time. Jesus speaks to the personal, broken, intimate, wounded part of our heart, and we try to get out of Dodge as fast as possible. She starts talking theology, where we're supposed to worship. She said, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Division, separation, right, wrong. I mean, you see how she jumps right back to it, but let's keep reading. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He's connecting again. The invitation is again, he's inviting her in. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, but not just for the Jews. He's extending yet another invitation. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. I know that Messiah is coming. And it says this, called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. It's like she allows him into this insecure place of her heart that says, I don't understand. I don't get it. And I'm hoping and I'm praying and I'm longing for, for when Messiah comes, he will explain it to us. But for right now, we're distant, we're separate, we're different, we're far. And Jesus says this, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Here I am. Why do you think I know what I know about you? Why do you think I'm here right now? Why do you think I knew you'd be here right now? Why, why, Why do you think I sent all of my disciples away? They're out looking for food in the community. It's because I needed to have an interaction with you that will change your life forever. I'm he. I love you. I haven't condemned you. I haven't separated you. I've gone after you. In fact, what she didn't know, but what he knew, I'm going to die for you. I love you. This Messiah you're waiting for, he's not far away. He's not far away time-wise. He's also not far away relationally. He's right here. He's close. He's intimate. He's personal. He's right here. He says, I am. And he, he did not tell a lot of people that he was the Messiah. But he went after someone who had so many different layers of division and difference that he broke through him and he went, I'm he, I came for you. I came for you. Salvation is from the Jews. He was a Jew. Salvation is from the Jews, but it's not just for the Jews. It's for you. I think church people often overcomplicate the gospel. I'm a, I, I, I do that. I have done that. 
often I think, you know, if you're not a Jesus follower, if you don't attend here, if this is your first time, I already told you, you're in good company, me too. Uh, the gospel is not that complicated, though. It's really not. And sharing the gospel, sharing about who Jesus is, isn't, isn't that complicated. Let me walk you through. This is, this is what I see even Jesus model with this interaction and then so many others all throughout Scripture. Uh, number one is this. He identifies lost people. What, what qualifies you or what defines you as lost? You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Ta-da! You're lost. So I spent the first couple weeks of this series talking about lost people. Number one, he identifies lost people just like he identified the Samaritan woman. Number two is he speaks to the brokenness. Not the superficial brokenness. Our world, our news, our politics, our feeds, whatever it is, speak to the physical, superficial brokenness. Jesus always spoke to the spiritual brokenness. What is spiritual brokenness? I'll articulate some. Loneliness, despair, fear, pain, shame, performance, sin. Jesus speaks on that level. When's the last time you heard the news talk about sin? And, and the rest of the stuff, they use it to drive something. Jesus spoke it to cripple it to rob it of its power, to invite into something totally new, totally fresh, totally what God had designed from the very beginning. Number three, it's pretty easy, point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. I, I want to speak to the brokenness that I see, that I sense, that I hear, that I feel, that I'm, I just, I get this from you. I just feel like you're hurting. Jesus wants to speak to that for you. Jesus actually has the answer. Jesus is the key. When you, when you go to this book, just start reading the gospel. This book is alive and active. The Holy Spirit uses it. He, he speaks and it says he penetrates even like bone and ligament. I mean, it's like he separates it. It's so powerful. It's so sharp. It will speak exactly to the pain and brokenness of your heart. Jesus can do that. All you got to do is point to Jesus. I, I don't know the answer, but he does. Point to Jesus. And then number four is this. Allow the Holy Spirit to work. I think we miss that step a lot. I think a lot of times we go, okay, I did my part, God. Why didn't it happen? Something was supposed to happen. Something was supposed to change. We, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work on his timeline. The Holy Spirit began working in the Samaritan woman in ways Jesus' disciples wouldn't know. In fact, later in the story, they, they all come back and they're like, oh, he's talking to a woman? This is why he needs us. What in the world? What are you doing? You're throwing the whole thing away. It's like they come back and Jesus is allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work right now in her heart. And, and what you will see is a phenomenal, unbelievable way. This is sharing the gospel. Identify lost people, speak to brokenness on a soul level, point to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work. I want to ask you this question. Who in your life needs the gospel? Maybe it's you. Maybe you have brokenness and pain and shame that you just need God to speak to. Run here. Run here. Run to Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to work and move in your heart. But there's one guy in my life. Um, one of the perks of my role is I just get to be at like a different church almost every week. It's so much fun. Um, and so I'm around different people, and I met this guy. His name, I shouldn't say his name. His name's Joe. 
I don't know if that's accurate or not. And uh, he's a buddy of mine um, that we met uh, together at church. He was doing community service. He, he broke the law. He broke the law on a number of different occasions. <laughs> he asked me one day. So funny. He'll never watch this, I hope. Hi, Joe. Um, he broke the law so many times. He asked me to print off his record once at church. He was doing community service. And he goes, hey, I really need this. I need a paper copy. Can you print it? I was like, sure. Yeah, whatever. You know, print. And I was like, it's still printing. <laughs> Six pages, man. What did you do? Nothing violent, but it was just very funny. I was like, all right, you're diff- we're different. We have had a different life. <laughs> so I built this relationship with him. I just love this guy. Took him out to lunch, whatever. Uh, well, Joe added another you know, little line item on his rap sheet, and uh, he ended up in trouble. And this one was like big trouble. And so he actually reached out because we had built this relationship totally different, totally different lives. I mean, it, different everything. We we're so different. And uh, he ends up uh, basically going before a judge. And so he asked me to write a letter for him on behalf, um, on his behalf. And so I, I wrote a letter with conditions. <laughs> Such a jerk. I was like, yeah, I'll write you a letter if you do stuff. So come volunteer and you get nothing for it. Come to church. I see a counselor. I was like, I laid it on thick. He did it all. So I wrote him this letter and, uh, it was pretty amazing. The judge read this letter, and then somebody else, uh, our counselor, actually, I, I pointed him to the same guy that I had talked to. Um, he wrote him a letter on his behalf, too, and so he stood before the judge. The judge read these letters, and he said, sounds like you got a good community of people that love you around you, uh, and he sentenced him, and he was looking at 14 months, and he actually got like two and a half, and whatever whether you think that's right or wrong, whatever, the, the judge sat in the seat and decided this is what it was. And so Joe calls me and he goes, you're not going to believe this. The day he sends, so funny. You're not going to believe this. The judge loves me. <laughs> I said, I, I hate to burst your bubble. The judge does not love you. <laughs> Trust me. God loves you though. God loves you. I said, I, I prayed that you would do the time that God says is needed for him to cultivate something in your heart. What cool opportunity. And so he went to jail. He got out this morning. This is a guy I've been pursuing for three years. I was a horrible representation of the church to him in jail. I missed half of our video visits. You know how embarrassing it is to say that up front in front of you? I, but I was pursuing him. I was going after him. I scheduled all this time with him. We would talk. I sent him a couple books. So he read through two different books that changed my life in my relationship with God. I, I'm watching the Holy Spirit cultivate and do something despite me. And I want to say we had seven or eight video visits over the last couple months, and it's, he can't wait. I mean, it, his, his text to me this morning just cracked me up. He said, I'm free. My first thought was, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're free superficially. But there's a depth, soul level that God intends to set you free, and you're so stinking close. Do you have anybody like that in your life that you just lose sleep over? I had a dream this last week. It was crazy. I had missed a couple of visits, you know, and, and we had like three scheduled for this last week. And I woke up in the middle of the night. It was weird. Um, I had a dream that I was in jail. That I was incarcerated. And it was visceral. I mean, it was 
terrifying. I mean, I, I felt the despair. I felt the loneliness. I felt the shame. I missed my family. It, it was like God gave me a window into the life of Joe's heart that I'd never gotten before, but it was something God was so familiar with, and it changed me. It actually equipped me to speak to the brokenness, and I went, dude, I had this weird dream this week. Do you relate to any of this? It was like we got in a totally different plane of conversation. God sees people who are different than us like that. That he knows the pain, he knows the woundedness, he knows the shame, he knows the brokenness, and he has sent us as representatives of him to them. Just like God sent his son Jesus to do that for us. Here's what's crazy. Let's finish the story. John chapter 4, verse 39 and 42. Uh, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Remember we said, allow time for the Holy Spirit to work? This woman ran back into town. She tells everybody, here's who I just interacted with. He spoke, she says this, he told me everything I ever did. <laughs> On a soul level. And then it says this, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You know, your testimony is powerful in the kingdom of God because how you live your life and the story that you share with people points to the one who can change everything. We are called to reach different people because it is exactly what Jesus did for us. I love this new building. I absolutely love it. I already told you that. I'm going to use the bathroom one more time just to watch the seat close <laughs> slow. It's just fantastic. I love the new faces I see in here. I love the change. I love the, I love, this building's not going to reach anybody for Jesus. You will. This building by itself does nothing. It is nothing for you. God has put lost and broken people in your life. And he's invited you on the journey, not just to invite them to come in here, but to allow this to be a launching platform into your community. The win for this church is not that it ends up looking like the community of Byron Center which feels weird, right? Don't you, it's like, well, yeah, it should, right? We should be a representation of our community. We should be a representation of the kingdom of God to your community. That's the invitation that's on the table. Don't just come to church. Go be the church for people who are lost, for people who are hurting, for people who are broken, and for people who are different. Bring the color back to your life, to this community, as a representation of the kingdom of God. Today we get to celebrate baptism. Let it be an inspiration. Somebody's excited. Today we get to celebrate baptism. Come on. Let it be an inspiration. We're celebrating baptisms today. We're four baptisms, which is more on one day than ever in the life of this church. That's what John told me. 
you get to be a part of that. And so if you're getting baptized, we are so excited for you. We can't wait to celebrate with you. Everybody else, if you're not getting baptized today, I want you to ask this question. Who in my life does God want to cultivate that what is about to be put on display? Who does he want to do that for in my life and allow me to be a part of it? Do it. It's his work. He's just invited us into it. So let me pray for us and then we're going to celebrate together. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you. We're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful that uh, although we are so different than you, we are so different than you, you don't see the differences. You see the same. You see men and women, boys and girls created in your image that you so desperately love, that you so desperately long for, that you so desperately want a relationship with, that you want to heal, that you want to set free. Father, I just think about the vision, the way we see our world. You want to open our eyes to see it in full color, like your kingdom, like what we will enjoy for all of eternity. I just pray that you would open eyes today. I pray that the color blindness would go away, that we wouldn't ignore things or issues or brokenness in our communities, but that you would equip us to step into them and speak into them and to love into them as a representation of you. I pray for this community in Byron Center. I pray for this church that you would activate them, that you would spur them on, that you would equip them, that you would give them what they need, that you would bring people here different than this group of people so that this church may be a fuller, better, colorful representation of your kingdom. Father, change the world. Change the world. Change this world. Change this community through these people because of you, because of Jesus through the work of your Holy Spirit. We love you. We're grateful. We celebrate with you this morning. And uh, we just pray this together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, with one another, amen.